You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. We're going to dive in this morning to just create some ministry time um, at the end for a moment. But um, Father, we just adore you in this place. God, we know that this place is yours, not just the physical location, but the hearts that you inhabit. God, we give it to you. We direct it towards you. And God, I pray that you would just sit with us in a way that only you could this morning. God, in a way that our hearts would be aware of, that our minds would sink up to, that our spirit would resonate with. God, give us your peace, give us your grace, and give us your definition and awareness over our lives. God, let us own it, let us see it. Call us into it, Father. And we trust you and we love you. Everybody say amen. Amen. Okay. I had two cups of coffee. I'm going to be loud. I'm going to talk fast, so listen fast. This will be a short message. Um, I, I hit a couple thoughts last week that I just felt like the Lord said circle back to, so maybe a little repetition this morning, but that's okay because practice makes better. Um, but in the realm of identity and purpose, um, I want to say this. We belong to God's design for our lives. Amen. Okay. Everybody say, we belong. We belong to his design for our lives, okay? Um, And I want to talk about this thought, and I'll I'll define this here in a minute, but I want to talk about overcoming the awkwardness of belonging, okay? I think I said this last week, but sometimes the sense of belonging can come with a a certain um, vibe of feeling awkward or like we don't belong, or it might be a difficult thing to kind of reconcile, but... The truth is we belong to what we belong to because that was the intent and the design of the Father. And so we simply belong. One more time, say we belong. I want to read the story of the prodigal. I know I taught on this um, at least once this year, maybe twice, but third time is a charm. And I just want to read this whole passage just quickly so that we have a reference this morning. I'm not going to unpack it super deeply, but it's in Luke 15. Everybody knows this story. Starting in verse 11, it says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to the father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. Um, Verse 14, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country. He began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out, go back to my father, and say to him, I've sinned against heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy uh, to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up. He went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Everybody say, yuck. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven. His plan. Here's his strategic plan. He's executing it. Uh, He said to the father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. And sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. 
So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what was going on. Your brothers come home. Uh, sorry, I lost my place here. iPad glitch. Here we go. Your brother's come. Uh, your brother has come. He replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother. Ever say older brother. The older brother became angry, and he refused to go. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your order, uh, yet you never gave me even a young goat. I mean, can you imagine your dad not giving you a goat? What a burden. You've never even given me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. Let me say it like this. You belong. You belong. You have a place. There's a place that's designed and designated for you, because that's what family looks like, right? Let me finish this passage. You're always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So the prodigal was in. He was out. He was back in. And he belongs. He belonged before he left. He belonged when he went. And now that he's home, in the context of family, the designated place in that space is that he still has a seat at the table. He still belongs even though... He went sideways for a bit. This is an awkward seat of belonging. It's an awkward place to come to, especially when those around you don't necessarily want to come in and celebrate with you. Amen? Let me tell you about my stupid dog. And don't call PETA on me for saying that. It's really my wife's dog. That's how much I don't like the dog. And they're at home watching today, so... Um, our dog is probably 10 years old, maybe just a hair over. Um, when we first got this dog, we thought he was kind of regal, had like that regal vibe about him, you know, like, and we thought we live in North Wilkesboro and Wilkesboro at the time. We named him Finley because it just sounded like he'd be this Lord Finley of the boroughs, you know, like we had this whole plan and dream for him. Well, there was nothing regal about him. He was just stupid. Like, he's high maintenance. He's hyper energy. He's just too needy. And he's one of those dogs that is just so smart that it's obnoxious, right? And you've just got to do too much for him. Um, and so we got tired one season of our life of having to get up at 2 a.m. when it's cold and go walk this dog who needed to go to the bathroom. And so I decided I'm going to uh, the big box store. I'm going to buy uh, one of those wireless dog fences. I'm going to put it in, and I'm going to set this little guy free to do life on his own, uh, which really, if I'm honest, wasn't so much about his freedom as much as it was about my relief. And so I go, and I build this whole design around the house with the little yellow wire um, that he could do life in. And then I take what is known as the shock collar. Okay, don't call PETA again. Um, and I put it on the dog. 
And the way you train the dog is you set little flags out. And over a series of days, you walk him to those flags. The collar will beep. It doesn't shock him unless he goes past it for a certain amount of time. But it will beep and let him know kind of where the boundary is. So you train him to see the place that he belongs in. Um, and sure enough, after a few days, we trained him uh, on a leash. And then finally, we decided we're going to let him go. Now, this time, he did not know. Uh, that on the other side of the beep and on the other side of the boundary was the Holy Spirit, uh, a.k.a. shot collar. And so he tests the boundaries, and I remember the first time, and he's one of those dogs um, who just acts like he's got more testosterone than he does, so he wants to fight the other dogs, but really he's kind of a wimp, you know, so... Um, I knew he had like, he was, he's part Australian shepherd and then part wuss. Like that part wuss is what I was counting on. And so he goes through the boundary just enough and he, he kind of gets shocked and he comes back and he backs all the way up to the house. And there he sits up against the front door with his little muddy butt on my uh, wall because he's now been shocked. He doesn't know what's going on. He, I don't even think probably at that point he understands it's related to the boundary. He hasn't put it all together yet. For, so for, there he was for like probably the next week. We'd let him out. And he wouldn't even go explore the boundary. He'd just go and like sit next to the house. Because he didn't know what was going on yet. Finally, he was trained. He understood kind of where he could go, where he couldn't go. He put two and two together that when this thing beeps, I need to back up and I'm pushing it just a little bit. Um, and now he could go there and live in this awesome liberty and freedom and do life. I mean, we put this thing there so that he could do life and do it abundantly and live free and have dominion over the deer in the yard and the squirrels in the tree and all that fun stuff. Setting them up really nicely. But there's two... Sides to that, part of it too was outside of the boundary is what's known as harm to the dog. Because we know this dog will run away. We know this dog will probably get lost. Um, We know that there's cars out there and he's not smart enough to know what to do with cars. And so in an effort for him not to be ran over, get lost, and uh, God forbid just move out, he might have left us. Um, we put this fence up. Now, the fence was designed to give him freedom and keep him from harm. But depending on how you look at it, you either see it as a limitation or you see it as liberty. Depending on how you interpret it, you either think someone is there to get you or someone is looking out for you. Because more than we realize on the other side of the life that God designed us for, Outside of its boundaries is when we bring in potential harm. And I want to talk about this sense of belonging because in the design of God is this place that we simply belong. We belong at the table of Jesus in the family of the Father. This is our position. This is where we belong. Okay. One more time, say we belong. Now I want to look at maybe three thoughts really quick. Unpack them very quickly. Things we need to overcome to get rid of the awkwardness of belonging, okay? And this list could be a hundred things probably, but these are just the three that came to mind as I was just praying. It's important that we learn to overcome an unhealthy fear of the Lord. 
okay? I'll say it one more time so it's clear. It is crucial, I changed it a little bit, that we overcome an unhealthy fear of the Lord. There is a healthy fear of the Lord and there's an unhealthy fear of the Lord. And one of the things we struggle with is we don't often know the difference between repercussion and punishment. Now here's what my dog couldn't figure out, and I don't mean to reduce us to the levels of dogs this morning. Please don't take the analogy that far. But what he couldn't figure out was, um, and probably still to this day doesn't know, is when he goes outside the boundary and gets shocked, I didn't shock him. I wasn't sitting in my house waiting for little Finley, Lord, what should have been Lord of the Burrows. Now, never mind, uh, of the Burrows. Uh, I wasn't sitting there waiting for him just to go out so that I could get my dopamine fix of pushing a button and watching him jiggle. Now, he doesn't know that. But depending on how, depending on how he interprets it, he might think, hey, Dad's up there. I'm not his dad. That's gross. Uh, Dad's up there pushing the button, shocking me because I'm out of bounds. It is so important that we know the difference between repercussion and punishment or we'll have a theology of a God who's always looking to punish us when really it's just repercussion of us. See, when I live outside the boundary and the design of God for my life, it's not God who has to punish me. I'm punishing myself because I'm putting myself in harm's way and belonging to something that he didn't create me to belong to. When I do life outside of that grace and that measure that he's ordained me for, it puts me under the canopy of potential harm. And it's not God who's shocking me and punishing me. It's the repercussion of where I'm located. Does that make sense this morning? This is part of the reason people struggle with an unhealthy fear of the Lord. Because here's what's, what's true. If I go outside the fence, or let me put it back on the dog. If the dog goes outside the fence... It's not that I'm angry at the dog. It's that I'm concerned for the dog. It's that I'm burdened for the dog. Right? When we live outside the design of the Father for our life, it does not automatically mean just because you went outside the fence that a loving God becomes angry. But that is so much... And so many believers theology that a loving father who has a place for you, who even created this world for you to roam freely in and have dominion over the things that we see. We think because we push the limits and we suffer a repercussion that all of a sudden an all loving God became angry and just wants to punish us. This is what leads to an unhealthy fear of the Lord. And it's dangerous. Amen? It's not that when we leave, God is angry at us. He's concerned. So concerned that he'll leave the 99 and come find that one who got out. 
He didn't come to stone him. Jesus said, I didn't come to judge the world or condemn the world. He came to deliver. He came to find what was lost and bring it home, much like the story of the prodigal. I want to figure out where your position and bring you to the right position because you belong somewhere. And it doesn't matter how far you've uh, gone or how long you've been gone. You still have a place of belonging. And that is in the design of the Father. Uh, let me also say this. When we have an unhealthy fear of the Lord, it is a catalyst for rejecting the Lord. In fact, when we have an unhealthy fear of the Lord, it's a catalyst for rejecting the Lord because we can't really reconcile how a loving God could be angry. And so we just can't figure it out. And what happens is we start to deconstruct and ultimately we deconvert. Meanwhile, God never changed. His intent has always been the same. And we've always had a seat in the family of God to belong. But because we have an unhealthy fear of the Lord, because we think God went from loving to angry and wants to punish us, we just deconvert altogether because we don't know how to reconcile the love of God and the repercussion of roaming. God didn't change. My position changed. See, God can love you whether you're in the fence or not. And you'll have a place of belonging whether you're in the fence or not. Amen? But there is a place inside the fence that is for you where life is better. Where freedom resides. Amen? But an unhealthy fear of the Lord is a catalyst for ultimately rejecting the Lord. Because we can't reconcile what he's actually like. Here's the real shock. I think of, uh, again, the story of the prodigal. And I don't want to dig deep into it um, this morning, so I'm going to trim a lot of fat. But he thought, probably somewhere, that his return home would be to an angry father. Because of what he had done. And I don't know which was the most shocking. The shock of getting outside the fence, that initial thing of stepping into harm's way, or the shock of coming home to see your father running for you. Not with clenched fists, but with open arms. See, this is still the shock of so many believers who have probably decent theology and a good grip on the gospel, but still have an awkwardness in belonging in his presence. Right? We can say it and we sing it and we can preach it, but if we're honest, there's still moments we feel awkward in the full embrace of the Father. (laughs) Right? We shouldn't, just to be clear, but I think we all do sometimes. But the prodigal would return home to a father who wasn't angry. And somehow he probably thought that leaving the boundary and wasting what he did would somehow turn a loving father into an angry father. And to his surprise, he wasn't. Why is that? Because to the father, the son was always a son. His worth never changed. His worth wasn't determined on his location. It wasn't determined on what he had done. His worth was determined on the fact that he belonged to the family and he would always belong to the family no matter what, no matter when, no matter how. Uh, This is where we belong. One more time, say we belong. We belong because we belong. Amen? I keep hearing that song. What's the song? We belong. 
Pat Benatar. Yeah, thank you. I knew John Schroeder would know this. Mm. Really quick, let me balance this out. Here's what a healthy of the fear, a healthy fear of the Lord looks like. I'm not scared, but I am in awe. He has full power over my life, but I know that I'm safe. Imagine this. If you're sitting, um, not to paint the Lord in this picture, but it, it, maybe this will work. Imagine sitting in the ocean in the middle of a violent, chaotic storm. It'd be terrifying. But imagine you're in the middle, but somewhere safe. You know it can't harm you. You know it won't hurt you. It can't get to you. What happens? The thing that is scary, the thing that is massive, the thing that is like uh, powerful in its nature now becomes a thing of beauty rather than something to be afraid of based on your location. So God can be all powerful. He can have these attributes that are uh, crushing mountains and parting seas and all of these things that we can't quite reconcile. But if we uh, remember that we have a place of belonging that is a safe seat in the middle, then he's not someone to be afraid of. He's someone to be in awe of. This reverent, in all fear of the Lord is a healthy one, but I promise you it has to be nestled in a sense of safety. Safe does not mean you won't be challenged. It doesn't mean that he won't press you. It doesn't mean that he won't call you from one place to another. It doesn't mean that he won't call you to do risky things. There's not a lot of things that seem safe about the Lord, but he is safe. Right? So there is a healthy fear of the Lord. That he's powerful but safe. Amen. Second thing we have to overcome to get rid of the awkwardness of belonging. We have to overcome false humility. Ever say false humility. (laughs) Uh, The church is just great at this one, right? And kudos to us because we want to give glory to the Lord. And I love that. And we should. And we should be humble. Amen. Humble is when you're so humble you can't pronounce the H, just to clarify. Um, here's, Here's the thing, though. It does not always feel humble to belong. When you take your... I mean, just, just saying it like this, when you take your rightful seat, gosh, that doesn't feel humble to even say it like that. Right? Am I right? You know, come on, any, this is false humility. Anything we do, and someone says, man, you know, I used to do this all the time. Someone say, hey, man, that sermon was great today. It was really for me. And I'm like, oh, man, it wasn't me. It was all, yes. <laughs> it's all me, brother. I'm just a servant. And now I'm like, thank you. I worked really hard on that. And I prayed and I did a lot of things so that you, uh, I don't do that. But we tend to deflect in this effort to be humble because it's awkward to sit in a seat that is actually rightfully yours. Right? Ah. And it cultivates a sense of false humility that really ultimately keeps us from embracing the place that we belong. It doesn't seem hump. Let me say it like this, because this is how I wrote it. It doesn't seem humble to belong in confidence. 
And so what we do unknowingly is we try to belong in shame. We sit in the presence of the Father at his table, very skittish, on the seat, worried at any time, angry Abba will show up and want to punish me or dismiss me until I get it right. Like we sit there kind of in caution because we don't sit with the confidence of belonging. We sit there in shame. Right? And shame produces this constant sense. This is why I said last week, I'm going to say it again. It it produces this sense that something is wrong with us. But according to the gospel, there's nothing wrong with you. There's something right with you. And when you put faith behind what is right with you, it calls every pattern that looks like something's wrong with you to come into alignment with what is right about you because you're learning to sit in the seat that you belong to. And when you sit in the place that you belong, the grace of God and His design for your life starts to show up. Amen? But it doesn't seem humble to belong in confidence, so we try to belong in shame, and we call that humility. Shame is not humility. Amen? Shame is shame. It's an identity problem. See, the prodigal reduced his identity from a son to a servant because he could not comprehend the fact that the father would receive him. Therefore, he thought that was the only way the father would. He's not going to receive me as a son anymore because I've lost my seat. So now I'm just going to go back and say, hey, now I'm a servant. Just look at me as a servant. And he thought that's how the father would accept him. And the father doesn't even acknowledge his confession. He doesn't even acknowledge that that is his viewpoint. He treats him just like the son he was when he left. Because in the father's position, he always belonged. Hmm. You ever, um, not to expose anyone, but... Anybody ever go to like bars or watch, uh, <laughs> not to expose anybody going to the bar tonight? Uh, but just growing up, I grew up in, in, in Boone, North Carolina. And when I was a teenager, it was like jam band central. So we were always going to see bands play at, at bars or, or whatever. And being underage, they, it depended on which place you went to, you would go and they'd put a what? They put an X on your hand, right? Now as Christians, we call it a cross. We're there doing the Lord's work. They put an X on your hand. And sometimes, this is what always confused me, and maybe it was just my experience, but sometimes the X meant that you're underage, you can get in, but you can't drink. Fair enough. Fair play. Okay? And so we'd go in, we'd have an X on, but it was kind of like a shame mark, you know? Because you're there trying to be cool, 16-year-old. You want people to think you're like, you know, 35, and so your hands are in your pocket, and you're just like, yeah, what's up? No, I don't want to drink right now. Just now, I had too much on the way over. Oh, sure. Doctor says I gotta watch it. You know, like my liver, my liver numbers are. You know, you, you know, you're trying to hide it. You got an X on your hand. It's kind of like a marketing. But then we would go to sometimes a different place, different bar, and depending on how, what their interpretation was, they put the exact same mark on your hand, and it allowed you to have access. And I thought, now this is confusing. One, like, is, is kind of a fence. It's like a boundary. And the other one's giving you access to go in here. It's giving you, like, unlimited, you know, favor. And it all came down to which bar interpreted it which way, right? Pretty interesting. Same mark, different interpretations. 
right? It's interesting that we sit at this table of the Father where we belong with a mark and based on our interpretation determines whether we have limitation or access. It determines whether we see it as offense or we see it as liberty. Do I see it as a restriction or do I see it as permission? And it's not the Father's interpretation that's the problem. It's ours. Amen? It's ours. It's always been our interpretation. Man's interpretation was broken. Jesus comes to show him what he was really like. They're baffled that the Father could be like that. Why? Because the Father didn't change. Their interpretation was what needed to change. The Father was... I want to read this passage, Ephesians 1.13. In 14 it says, And you also were included in Christ, say, belong... When you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Having this mark and this seal of the Holy Spirit is evidence that I belong where I belong. Right? This mark gives access. It says I belong here. I have permission to go in. I have permission to walk around. I have permission to do the things that are inside. Now, again, not trying to say everybody go to the bar after church. It's just an analogy. Calm down. Romans 5, 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith, into this grace in which we now stand and we boast. Now that is not false humility. That is not shame undercover. That is boasting because you're boasting about the right thing. That we boast in the hope of the glory of God. In other words, he has paid and brought us into a seat. He has given us access. He has marked us. And so we can freely and boldly and confidently walk in and say, hey, I belong here. I don't have to sit timid at his table. I don't have to sit timid in victory. I don't have to stand there and feel like I don't belong. I don't have to sit in the place of my belonging and feel awkward. I can own it. I can actually boast in it. Ephesians, I'm just reading one more passage. Ephesians 3.12. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Now, first off, if you have an unhealthy fear of the Lord, you will never learn what it means to come confidently to the throne of grace. To sit in his presence with confidence that you belong. You will always come to his presence as if it was a special one-time permission and you're not sure how long you can stay. And at best, it will leave you on the movement train where you're always having to go season to season just to look for one more moment like that when you could live in it all the time. Right? But if you don't feel like you belong, but every once in a while, then you're going to be stuck feeling awkward in the place that you actually belong. False humility means... i got one more and I'm going to pray for us, but false humility... Is wearing the mark but interpreting it the wrong way. If you're wearing it as a mark of shame rather than a mark of access, then it's going to be awkward for you to sit in the place that you belong. Amen? It's going to feel not humble to boast 
and what the Father has done for your life. Amen. And instead of living as a son or a daughter, at best you'll live as a servant. And that kind of what the older brother was struggling with. Hey, Father, um, I don't know if you noticed, but I've been crushing it the whole time, and I never left. I've been doing my chores. I've been doing the work. I've been doing all of these things, and here we go. You don't even give me a goat. I mean, a goat. That's a servant mentality. Right? And what he didn't know is he lived in his father's house the entire time as a servant and never learned to live in the full access of being a son. He could have probably had a party every single night if he wanted to, just to celebrate the fact that they are family. But he had reduced himself and related to the father as a servant. Right? One more. To overcome the awkwardness of belonging... We have to overcome the condemning voices. These are the voices that simply say, you don't belong here. Okay? The first one is exactly the one I just pointed out. It's the voice of the older brother. And this is why I love this passage, because uh, the prodigal, according to the father, belonged there, but it was an awkward dinner because of the older brother. Imagine sitting in a place that is yours. People are celebrating you. And here's the hard part. Deep down inside, you're thinking, I didn't deserve to like, earn this. I just like butchered this thing, you know? And they're acting like I'm awesome. This is awkward. It's awkward. The grace of God's awkward. And the older brother's on the outside, and he's like going back and forth with the servants. Hey, what's going on? Oh, come on, for real? Now they're at war a little bit with the father. They have an argument. He's like, I'm not coming in to celebrate. See, the, the, the condemning voice of the older brother, and this is what you've got to determine, is the older brother outside? Sometimes it is, but sometimes it's inside your head. Sometimes we're our own older brother. Right? I said this last week, and it's so true. Some of the biggest persecution of the church, especially in the United States, I would say the most dominant one is not coming from the outside. It's always coming from the inside. Right, And it's that subtle little thing, while you're sitting in that seat, the Father celebrating the definition of your life, it's that subtle little voice that most of the time we're unaware of, really, in a sneaky, don't you dare do it again, (laughs) in a sneaky way saying, hey, you don't belong here. We rebuke the power company in Jesus' name, I'm just kidding. It's that little voice and that little sense saying, hey, you don't belong here. That's why it's awkward. Right? And it's not coming from the outside. Most of the time it's coming from the inside. And it's that condemning voice. And it's funny. Here's how you know. The the voice of the older brother will only ever talk about your departure, never your pivot home. Only going to focus on the bad side of things. Never going to give you a win. Right? Here's how you know you're doing this in your head. You're always judging yourself. You're never celebrating what's good about your life, what you are doing well. You're only focused on the areas you're missing it. And I bet you I do this all the time. I mean, no, I don't. Here's the other thing those condemning voices, they don't just tell the story on repeat, they elaborate on it. 
And maybe this is just assumed in the text, but it's interesting to me that he goes to the father and he says, hey, why are we celebrating this guy? He went out and squandered your wealth on prostitutes. Now, nowhere in the story before that did it say anything about prostitutes. He's adding on to some stuff here. Now, maybe it's assumed culturally, probably. I'm not saying there weren't any. I'm just saying it wasn't in the text, and all of a sudden it is. And it's not even the story we read. It's the story that the older brother is telling. Because that's what happens when you live under that voice in the place that you belong. Not only does it feel awkward, but you'll start to narrate and ruminate a whole new story that maybe didn't even happen. You'll start to live in that place of thinking what someone thinks about you. And because of that thinking of what someone thinks about you, you think you don't belong where you actually belong. And it's awkward. Because now your story is they're watching me. Here's what's true. This older brother was the accuser in this case. And the father displays this crazy love that allows the older brother to sit where he belongs. Here's what God's love is like. If you're really sitting in the place you belong, God's love will make the accuser feel awkward, not you. Right? You'll sit in a place where you really, truly trust that His love is His love, that you actually have the right to be there. And it will make the accusation feel awkward more than His love. That's how you know we're starting to live in the place that we belong rather than under the voice of the accuser. Amen? Well, thank you. I'm not finished, though. I'm almost done. Uh, there was one uh, thing I had, I think about often. I don't know much about it. It's a psychological term. But it's called imposter syndrome. Um, and the, this probably isn't the right definition, but it's nuts and bolts of it a, a little bit. But it's this sense of being in a place but feeling like a fraud. Feeling like you don't belong. Right? Even when you should be celebrating the fact that you do, you don't because you feel like you're a counterfeit. Right? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? The, the church of Jesus has the biggest case of, of imposter syndrome that's ever existed. That the gospel literally is this announcing that we have a rightful position and a seat, but we actually don't feel like we belong in the place that we belong in. And so it's hard to own something that you don't feel is yours to own. And at best, we'll role play, we'll sit there, but deep down inside, feel like a fraud. Come on, we'll sit in that position. And, and again, this is what that inner voice will do. Man, if they knew what I'm struggling with. And then you elaborate yourself. You think, and I'm the only one struggling. Can I tell you this? If you know what we are struggling with at any given moment. If the kingdom was based on that, we'd all be out of a seat, but thank God it's not. So here's the other thing that, it, that condemnation does is it, it also allows us to lean into false humility under that place of undercover shame. And it puts us in this position of saying, well, I don't deserve it. 
But the culture of the kingdom is not based on what you do or don't deserve. It's based on who he is and who he created you to be. That's why no matter what you do or didn't do or will do someday, there's always hope because there's always a seat. There's always a rightful place for the sons and daughters of God to sit because it was never based on what you do or don't deserve. It was based on the fact that he is the father. And when the father gives you a seat, you belong in that seat as awkward as it may be. No matter how much shame you bring to the table, you still have the right to sit there and you were still loved just the same. No matter how many older brothers are criticizing you from the field, that seat is your seat. The position you have in Jesus is your position. And we're designed to do life in these parameters and in this place. Jesus said it. I came to give them life and life abundant. Last passage, and I'll pray for us. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Because sometimes, again, we go into that self-narrative that Our struggle is unique and our story is our own. And we conceal it in these places of awkward belonging. Because we think either people can't relate or God forbid we think God can't relate. But it says, therefore, since we have a great high priest, speaking of Jesus, who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess not your, not your feeling not the awkwardness hold firm to the faith and the truth that I belong where I belong because of him for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses in other words there's nothing you can bring to your seat at the table that he can't relate to, that he can't understand, that is too big for him. There's nothing on you that will ever be greater than what's on him. Uh, Let me say it like this. There's nothing that you've ever done in Adam that will be greater than what God did in Christ. And if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. As Paul would sum it up after his own kind of walk through in Romans, he'd say, but... There's no condemnation for those who are in where? Let me say it like this. There's no condemnation for those who are where they belong and you belong in Christ. He is the place of my belonging. It shouldn't be awkward to be in Christ and be a new creation. Even if I have some old patterns, it should not be awkward for me to own it. It is your rightful place as a son or a daughter of the Father to sit and be celebrated by His definition and design for your life. Who cares what the older brothers say? Who cares what your mind's spinning? It's by faith we sit in this seat. And it's by grace we're held here. Amen? I'll finish the passage and pray. Who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace, here it is again, with confidence. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. In other words, 
When you feel like you are the most messed up and broken, that is when you're supposed to come with the most confidence to his table. Because it's what you need the most. You need to sit in a place where he describes who you are as you are in the place that you belong because it exposes where you knew really deep down you didn't belong anyway, which was outside the boundary. The Father calls us home. Amen. So we have to replace an unhealthy fear with trust. That God's all-powerful, but I'm safe. I can trust him. He's not trying to punish me. There are repercussions to living outside the design, but it's not God shocking the collar. We have to replace false humility with confidence to really come boldly into what is rightfully ours. And we have to learn to replace condemnation with embrace. This returning home, not to find a clenched fist, but an open arm and a ring and a rope. Amen. I'm going to pray for us, and then um, we're just going to pray over a couple things as a family. Father, God, I just pray over your sons, your daughters. God, may we really feel the weight of that statement. That where we sit is based on you. That it's based on your design. And there's no amount of journey or sin or shame or brokenness or despair or uh, thoughts that can ever dilute the value that you have on my life. That will ever change the fact that I belong where I belong. Because, Father, we know that our belonging is not based on what we do or don't deserve. It's not based on performance, but it's based on you as Father and us as your children. God, I pray over every heart and mind in this room, everyone watching online, anyone who has that just awkward sense of belonging. Whatever it takes, Father, I just pray that you would heal that place by the Holy Spirit. God, those who live in that place of imposter syndrome where they feel like a fraud in your presence, ah, God, may we remember that that place of your presence <laughs> is the place that you've called every single one of us to. It's the safest place because it's the place we were designed for. To know that we were designed for the love of God means that it should never be awkward for us to sit there. It should only ever be awkward for our accuser. God, let us feel it. Let us sense it. As we trust you. And as we embrace you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.